Forgive us for our sins of omission and commission. Father, you are our God, and we thank you for being so good to us. You are better than good. I am covering myself, the listener, and our family member with the blood of Jesus, that we will not get any backlashes from this prayer. Father, give us and our seed wisdom and divine favor, as well as direction for each day. Father, continue to open doors of favor for this ministry and the overseer and his family member. Lord, you know the things that he and his family member has up before you. Father, we thank you that you are granting their prayer requests, and you will give them their heart desire. Now, Father, prepare each and every one of us heart and mind to receive this rhema word on this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, Jesus. This is a beautiful morning. We have like a, you know, little bit of chillness coming to our town. It's like a starting to show I'm here. I'm coming over. Uh, but this morning, I just wanted to take this time and open the floor and see if there is any praise item or a prayer item uh, before the church. Good morning. This is Lisa. I've got a, um, a prayer request, please. My uh, third oldest son, Trey, is a professional basketball player. He's currently over in Croatia. He's now headed into week number three where he's sitting over there without a contract. Um, The coach decided that he no longer wants him on the team. So I'm just praying that, um, you know, that God would work in Trey's favor, um, you know, give him a contract so that he'd he'd be able to – you know, continue to use that talent that God has blessed him with. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, just let him not get weary and just sitting there not oh, being able yeah. to, um, you know, participate or do anything with the team. So he's basically kind of like just there by himself. So please just continue mm-hmm. to keep that lipstick. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah. And his name is Savon? No, his name is Straight. His name is Trey. Trey. Okay. Okay. Trey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Trey Michael McClain. Okay. Father God, we lift up Trey right now into your mighty yeah. hands, Father. God, you are the God who knows our yesterday. You know our today, and you know our tomorrow. Hallelujah. God, there is nothing that uh, we can just like uh, you know do at this point in time, Father. Your supernatural intervention is needed right now. In the life of Trey, right now, Father God. God, the Bible says the prayers of the righteous availeth much. Hallelujah. God, this morning, you know, we carry, Father God, that promise for Trey. Even though he may be so far as Croatia, Father, right now as we pray, Father God, as the church prays, Father God, you actually open the door for Peter to come out of that place. 
Amen. Father God, when church prayed together, Father God, Amen. you actually moved the things away for Paul to just like to have the peace in his heart to write Amen. a book called Philippians, Father God. It's yes. because of, uh, Father God, people when they were praying in a different place, Father God, what you still sent the angels over to pick up your people up, yes. Father God. You send your angels over to feed your people. God, this morning we are praying and not leaving you, Father God, for pray right now as a body, Father God, because the Bible says if two of you on earth agree on one thing, the Father in heaven will do it for their sake. God, we wanted to hold on to this promise, Father God, that we are in agreement. Father God, we are in agreement as the saints coming together. Father God, lifting up him right now, Father God. The heart of those coaches, Father God, be melted right now. That they will, Father God, see something that they haven't seen before in the life of prayer. Hallelujah. You are an able God. You are a faithful God. Hallelujah. Make things happen, Father God. Make things happen, Father God. Strengthen pray right now, Father God. Right now, Lord God. Hallelujah. Right now, Lord God. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord God. Yes, Lord. Thank you. Y'all wouldn't believe that they haven't seen, they haven't been on the bedpan for that. They are mm-hmm. late. They are so late in doing things. Mama, you still here? Yeah, I'm still here. I'm on call oh, that line. Oh, I thought you got off. Oh no, <laughs> I, I had to. They told they okay, they needed gotcha. to do it on call that yep. line. Oh, and um, they didn't answer. They just say say load the laid back line. Okay, I'm gonna call them and let them know to come in. Okay. I called them, but they didn't answer you. Okay. Just they come in. Don't, they, 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 start, they don't start your name with 849. Oh, okay. Oh, got it, got it. Okay. Okay. Right. 843. Yeah, it has to be 843. Okay. Well, Mom, do you have a, do you have a praise report this morning, Mom? I praise God for who he what he's brought me from. What he's taking me to for the for the praise report that he's giving me report there. I'm praising God for the people that's prayed for me and and I'm praying for a lady right now that just prayed for me. She said she, I want the devil to bring me down. She said, I can't let him do that to me. That's, right. That's how I got Carlette's line. Calling you, you didn't, you didn't see Carlette. I guess I got Carlette's line. Okay. She said, eight. She said, eight. 28, I think. Remember that service? I, 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 that service I did it many Oh, God, I praise the Lord. 
Praising him. You just keep praising him. Yeah. I praise him. Amen. Amen. I want him to live. Tina, I want you to live up my um my message that I did when I did my um when I did my um my first message that I did. Eight twenty eight I think I did. I think it was eight twenty eight. Uh-huh. Oh God! Oh, it's your consecration. To, yeah, my consecration prayer. I want to. Okay, do. on the um, Lord's prayer. Huh? On the Lord's prayer. No, on the prayer that okay. it's service night. Okay. Eight twenty-eight. I'll find it. Okay, I'll find yeah. it. Yeah, it's in that black binder. It's in that black okay. binder. Georgia, show you okay. where that blinder is. Okay. Oh. Okay. I'll bring it when I come back, okay? What time is Bill coming in? Three o'clock. Three o'clock? Yep. Gladys at nine o'clock. Well, Mom, we got to get ready to start the service, okay? Is that okay? Is that all right? All right. Wonderful. Is there any other praise item? I'm so glad she's able to join us this morning. Amen. 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 I have a praise, um, praise item. I just want to thank you guys. Um, thank all of you for just your love and your support your prayers uh, during this time, your friendship, your love, um, and your kindness. Um, I, I would not be able to to get through this without the the prayers that are going up. I feel the strengthening, you know, of the Lord, and I know that's because even when I'm not praying, somebody else is covering and lifting up our family. And I just want to thank each and every one of you, and I'm going to ask that you guys continue uh, those prayers. Amen. Can y'all hear her? Amen. 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 Conference has been muted. Hallelujah. 
Good morning, everyone. It is so good to have everyone on a Sunday morning. Um, the, the thing is that, you know, um, every time we come to a morning like this and just pray and praise and just like listen to God's word, my prayer this morning is that this word that we're going to meditate on will just like a strengthen your heart um, and uh, give you a, a, another fresh discovery of what prayer is. That's, uh, that's my prayer. But uh, before we get started, Father, we come before your throne of grace one more time this morning. Lifting every one of us into your mighty hands, Father God, that you will, Father, listen, Father God, to our, uh, our heart's cry this morning. Father, we pray that even right now, as we go into your prayer, into your word, Father God, let your, let your word just like a put uh, the, the medicine in the parts of our body that we don't naturally see. Father God, we want to pray for the balm of Gilead to be applied over our life this morning, Father God. Help us to just like get a fresh energy, fresh revival, Father God, a renewed view of who you are this morning. We surrender ourselves into your mighty hands. God, you take the glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, Father, for your glory. Amen. This morning, <clears throat> this is one of those uh, times where we are actually seeing miracles of God, but um, there are times that when we see the miracles, those miracles are attached to, to something. There is, a, there is a faith that is attached to a miracle. Sometimes it is... Uh, the, the, the grace of God that is attached to a miracle. Sometimes we see the presence of God that is attached to a miracle. But this morning, we're going to see how one of those miracles is very tightly attached to prayer. Right? There are times that we are praying and we are waiting. The hardest part of this Christian life is, is actually this waiting period. You know you're praying for the right thing. You know there is a promise attached to it. You know that you're standing on the right ground. But you have no idea. Why is God not answering my prayers right now? What did I do wrong? We start to question ourselves during those periods. But my prayer this morning is that as we meditate through this thing, it will give a very fresh, revived view of like a how God sees our prayer, right? So we started off this one last week on First Kings, looking at the life of Elijah and what he was doing in the midst um, of the, the people at, at the, you know, this period in time. And so in the First Kings chapter 17, verses 1, God was very displeased with the life of their king in Israel, as well as he was very displeased with the people, right? And so the chapter 17 of First Kings and the first verse says, God is just like a telling this prophet to go tell the king Ahab, but it's not going to rain. Okay, so then you know, when he goes and tells the king that it's not going to be rain, I'm sure the king is like a ferocious and he's just like a going, uh, you know, he's trying to 
take the life of this prophet, not only the life of this prophet, but nearly for three years, they were killing every prophet that they were coming in contact with because of like what they heard from Elijah. There, there, there are two major issues that God was dealing with. Number one, this king by himself was worshiping idols, right? They were worshiping the God of Baal. And this is supposedly a God of fertility. This is a God of thunder and rain. If their God was so real, then God would have, their gods would have sent rain, right? But for three years, because our God has shut down the, the, the balcony, from the balconies of heaven, he shut down from no rain to happen. There was no rain for three years. And so afterwards, like in this period in time, Elijah, the man who was just like a, um, called to give the message, he actually went on hiding in a Gentile land. And there's a lot of miracles that we, that's written in that chapter 17. And um, after those three years, God shows up again in the first Kings, chapter 18, verses 1, by now, between 17 and 18, three years, three and a half years probably, has gone by, right? And But this time, God spoke to the prophet and said, go tell the king it's time uh, uh, to have some good news. There's going to be some rain, right? But it happens on the first verse, but between the first verse and the 45th verse, when actually it rained, is where the, the, the process was taking over, what God was doing to the people, what God was doing to the king, what God was doing to the prophet, what God was doing to those prophets. All those things are packaged between chapter 18, verses 1 to verse 45. But this morning, I'm here to say that if you are in this waiting mode, if you have prayed, right, and that the answer hasn't come, that means you are in between the verse 1 and 45. God is working on your situation. God is working on the people. God is working on the, the, the land. God is working on the things that needed to happen. Because if only we get like what we are asking for right now, then our, our prayer could have just like led us into a wrong path. And God is preparing our heart during this time. And as we saw last week, there was like a battle between two gods that happened in that mountain. Elijah brings the king and the prophets of Baal, uh, and, and they were just like putting their bulls. They took two bulls, they cut them, and put them in that altar. And those prophets, 400 plus prophets, were praying and praying and praying throughout the whole morning till afternoon. Nothing happened. Even they cut themselves as they were praying, and nothing happened. But then, when Elijah started to pray, the fire came down from heaven. And the fire wiped out everything clean. It wiped out the meat. It wiped out the wood that was underneath that. And the fire wiped out the stones that were underneath that. When the presence of God comes in, when the fire of God comes in, into the place, it's going to wipe out everything clean. And this morning, 
We're just going to look at that prayer of this man named Elijah, the prophet named Elijah. There are three things that I want to go after this morning. Number one, I want to go after how did he pray? Because James chapter 5 says he's a man just like you and me. But when he prayed, the Bible says that the fire of the Lord fell upon the, and consumed the bur- and bur- consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in trenches. That's what verse 38 says. There are times we feel like uh, I've given up everything, God. I've worked really hard for this. I've done everything that I can. God, you need to intervene and fix this situation. My crisis is beyond what I can do. Sometimes, you know, there is an external pressure that comes into our life because of like things like COVID, things like inflation in this country, things like uh, there are so many things that can come towards us from externally. But also, if we are fighting internally over something that we have prayed for, and it just makes our life so lean. Our heart goes heavy. And it feels like we are in the middle of a mess. And we don't know how to navigate. And that's exactly what Prophet Elijah would have felt at that moment in time when he started to pray that prayer. Because for three and a half years, there was absolutely no rain. People were killing Elijah's friends. People were killing the prophets. People were just like a dying because they don't have food. Right? People were dying because they don't have a water. He must have felt like everything around him was completely lost. And that was the situation under which Elijah was praying this prayer. But what is amazing to me is that there are Others who have prayed like this. There are four times in the Bible where when somebody prayed, the fire came down from heaven. The, the, in the book of Leviticus, chapter 9 and 24, we see how when Moses prayed, the fire came from out before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portion of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw, they were shouting and falling on their, you know, their faces. It was the very common occurrence that happened during the days of Moses. The Shekinah presence of the Holy God would just like a poof come down and just like a consume the fire. If it has happened to Moses, why can't that happen today? We tend to think like those things are written four, six, seven, eight thousand years ago. But how can that happen even today? Why is that fire not happening in my prayer? Wait till we go through this morning's meditation. We will see how God does the very same thing even today. In the first Kings chapter thirteen uh, verses uh, chapter eighteen verses thirty eight, that's what we are meditating on this morning. That that when Elijah prayed, 
there was a fire that came and consumed everything that was on that altar. There was another time that when David prayed, the same fire came down and consumed. And in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1, this was when Solomon built the temple and he prayed before the Lord. The fire came down from heaven and consumed the, the, the burnt offering. So these are like the four major spots in the Bible where the fire came down. But I want this morning to go a little bit deeper into just like a one place where the fire came down. Uh, and this is tracked in Second Samuel chapter 24. This is the one where David prayed and the fire came down, right? And this is one of the three where there is something unique about this prayer. And I think this applies to us even today. Why? Because this is a, just to give you a background, right? David has done something wrong, right? He actually, uh, at the height of his pride, he took senses and that angered God. In fact, God told very clearly to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 30, 12, he's, he's saying to them, don't count on my people. Don't take senses, right? And so when David did that, he did not even pay attention to This is a guy who's just like a, so impulsive, who's ready to make a mistake. He's got like a trouble as his middle name. That's how people say these things. So David counted the people, created a census. He wanted to know how many people, and he uh, you know, added some, he rejected some. He did a lot of mess around that time. And what, why I want to go after this is like a, sometimes the mess that we are in is not something God created. It's a mess that we created to ourselves. It's a self-inflicted problem, right? And, and when God sees that we have actually messed it up, right, it's just it, it, he's going to allow certain things to happen. But in this situation, it was a deliberate disobedience before God. And so God sends a prophet to, to David, and he says, okay, I'm going, to give you an, I'm going to give you three options on how you, you, you seem to be like a good guy. David, you have done a lot of good things for my people, so I'm going to give you three options, and you choose between these three options, and I will punish you based on your choice. Right? It's like an a la carte. You can pick what you want for you and your people. And God says, I am going to send you Option number one, three years of famine. Right? Uh, or option number two, I'm going to give you three months to be defeated by your enemies with the sword and overtaking you. So three months, you will be like a slaves to your people. Three months. Or the third option I'm going to give you is three days, the sword of the Lord the plague in the land with an angel uh, of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. God says, pick your choice. Three years of famine or three months to be defeated by your foes or three days of sword 
you know, breaking uh, with a plate. And so David chose the third option. He didn't want to get like a, uh, become a slave to somebody, or he didn't want like a three years of famine, but instead he just chose that three days is much better than three months or three years. So he chose the middle one or the lowest one. And he said, like, for, okay, God, go ahead, send your plague. Really, 70,000 men got killed. In fact, from the north of Dan to south of Bishiva, there's like the whole land was just like a hearing bad news after bad news after bad news. It was all because of David, right? And so here, at this height of like all the destruction that was going on, it's in the middle of those three days when God was just like sending the plague over. David gets to his, um, his uh, you know, place of consciousness, and he just like goes to God in prayer, and he opens his eyes. That's what uh, this, this whole chapter of like a second Samuel chapter 24 and the first Chronicles chapter 21 are talking about, right? In the verse 16, it says, then David lifted his eyes. This is like David has come to his senses. He knows he has made a big mistake and he is lifting his eyes before the Lord. And when he lifted his eyes before the Lord, he saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So when he looked up to the heavens, he knows that there are bad things that are going to happen to this, this town, but the very specific one that he saw was an angel standing there with his big, massive, big sword that he was ready to take down even more people. Already, the angel has killed 70,000 men at this point, right? So David and the elders clothed themselves with a sackcloth, fell on their faces, and David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I'm the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done, God? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord my God, be against me and my father's house, not against your people, that they should be plagued. Here, David is making a plea before God. David is saying, God, I made up a mistake. I made a mistake. I own up to my problem. Sometimes the issue that we are dealing with is what we have done, but we go through a portion of denial. We, we tend to think that what we did is not actually wrong. We actually try to find reasons to justify. We, we, we don't want the, the things that are, are done wrong be, be a guilt against us. We, we tend to say, like, why should I ask for forgiveness? He actually did this to me. She actually did this to me. God, what are you doing? You're asking me to go there and talk to that person? 
he, he, she treated me like a doormat. I can't do this. David could have done that. David could have justified his act. He could have said, I have done this so I can feed my people. I've done this so that I can use my data. He could have said, like, God, I need data. This is like a generation where it's just like data is everything in 21st century. He could be saying that. Instead, David gets real. In fact, I really like his posture before God. Not only David, he even convinced those elders and said, you know, let's all go to the Lord. Let's all face face down before God. He would have first started with a prayer in his bedroom, and he doesn't see the answer, so he would have rushed over to the temple, synagogue, or wherever that uh, secret place for him is, uh, he would have asked God to pray for him. No answer. Now he's gotten to the next level. He's saying, oh, I'm just going to remove all my good dress. I'm going to put on a sackcloth. I'm just going to put on this gunny bag on me. And he would have prayed and nothing happened. And then he would have just like got on his knees with his sackcloth on. And he's just still not happening. And now he's just like a falling face down on the ground. And he's asking God, please, God, please. These people have done nothing wrong. I don't know what you're praying for this morning. And what you want God to respond to. I do not know how much fire you need for your battle this morning. I do not know what is that that is making your heart heavy this morning. But I'm here to tell you that when we go before God with this kind of a posture, leave everything behind, every skill that you have, every knowledge that you have, every, you know, resource you have, every richness that you have, leave them all behind so you can actually go before God in this posture and say, God, I'm going to remove all my filters. I need you, Father God. I need you to answer me. And, and in fact, when David was praying, God was grieved over, that's what the Second Samuel chapter 24, verses 16 is saying, God was grieved over seeing what was happening to his people. And he calls on those angels and says, stop, stop, stop. Stop the disaster from happening. Don't, don't raise any more of your hand. Oh, don't, the angel of destruction, please don't do anything enough. God stops when David came to his senses. And then the first Chronicles chapter 21, 26 says, after that, after David got himself right before God, and then he goes and builds the altar. That's the number one point that I want to make this morning. If you and I are asking for a fire to come, if you and I are asking like a David, you and I are asking like Elijah, you and I are asking like Solomon, you and I are asking like a Moses, we need to get to a point where we need to remove things that are, 
that are just like holding us back. We just need to take those things, strip those pride off, strip those anger off, strip those frustration off, strip those things that are just like holding us back and go to God and say, God, now I have nothing. I have absolutely nothing, God. I'm just like a standing bare bone before you. I, I don't want to hold on to anything that I have, God. This is you and me, Father. Would you please listen to my voice right now and send the fire over the situation? God will answer such prayer with the fire. In fact, First Peter chapter 1 Verse 7 says, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may not found the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When you get a chance, I want you to read Psalm chapter 30. If you get a chance this week, this is an exercise for you. Given that I have given some of the background behind what happened between David, what happened between David, God, and the people of Israel, this Psalm 30 was written exactly the same time when David was going through this situation. He's talking to God about this very same thing in this Psalm. And in one place, he says in Psalm chapter 30, he says, God, O oh Lord, you have brought my life up from Sheol. You have kept me alive so that I would not go down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, O oh you, his godly ones, and give thanks at the mention of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may endure for a night. But the shout of joy comes in the morning. As for me, in my prosperity, I said I shall never be moved. He's just talking about his pride in that. And, and he says in, in that whole chapter, he's just describing the whole thing on how God turned his mourning into a dancing. How God took his sackcloth and turned it into joy. This morning, my prayer is that as you are praying for the fire to come down in your situation, right? God is saying, get real with me. Get real with me. Remove all the frills. Remove all the filters. Come before me as you are. That's the number one quality God is looking for. Strip down all the help that you may already think may help you and just leave them behind. People may say, ah, oh, the doctors can fix this. Oh, that the marketing company can fix this. Oh, my friend can fix this. There's so many other resources that we could stand on. But God says, nope, none of those American idols are necessary for me to answer you. You come before me and I will send you the fire. You cannot fake the wave of God. You cannot manufacture God's move of spirit. This morning, God is saying, let's get real. 
The second thing that I really like from this chapter is that in, in verse chap, uh, chapter 1 of Kings, 1 Kings chapter 18, I want you to go to verse 41. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 41, it says, Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink. And Elijah went to the top of the Mount of Carmel. And he bowed down on the ground and put his face between his knees. He separated himself from the crowd to go to the mountain. In fact, Jesus talks about it, and we saw that too. Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. He's talking about when we pray, just like how Elijah was separating himself from the crowd and go to a place where he can be alone. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. This life that we are living in is so fragile. In a moment's notice, our life can be changed upside down. We can get to a place of real desperation. Our strength could be stripped off. The dryness can get on ourselves. And God of this universe is giving us an instruction to go to a secret place and close down the door and pray to him in quietness. Why? And the thing is this, why did he, you know, yes, he went to the quiet place, but why did he put his face, why did Elijah put his face between his knees? This is a birthing position in those days, when those mothers were just like a giving birth, they would just like a put their head in between their knees and they would sit down and it's just like a push and push and push. In agony, they would push to get the baby out. And that's probably the birthing agony that, that Elijah had in his stomach, uh, that this rain is not coming. God, this, uh, these people are just worshipping the idols. God, I just cannot take this anymore. God, the people are getting slaughtered right now. I just want you, Father God, to show up in my life right now. When we're ready to give birth, the next thing that we need to do is to shut down the outside noise. That's why Jesus says, go alone to a place where you shut down the door. You don't want to listen to the noises around us that are talking. Naysayers are out there. There's so many times people would come and tell me, Cyril, you have done really well with this ministry. A lot of these fathers and mothers are giving their life to Christ. They have done, you have done well in, in 24 prisons. You have 16,000 children. 
God, Phil, you're doing really good. You don't need to raise money for their scholarship. That's probably the distraction you don't want to have. You continue to do by going into the prison. I'm telling you this morning, that is a noise I need to shut off. And that can only be shut off when I go to the, to the place of quietness. We have to shut down ourselves from Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, WhatsApp, Snapchat, nearly 132 distracting social media sites are out there for us this morning. We need to shut down from every voice that contradicts with the Word of God. Elijah was praying with that agony. He wants to punch the enemy in his stomach so hard that this is going to pain and hurt that enemy. In fact, there is a man named Don Carson. In his book, he says, pray yourself into prayer. Right? When you begin to pray, he's saying, pray yourself into prayer. Prayer that grows as you pray. We have to get into the prayer. Sometimes when we are starting to pray, there are so many distractions that just can get into our head. And this man is saying, you know, begin to pray yourself into prayer. While you're praying, God is reminding you of things that you have never thought of before because you are, you are now, you know, praying yourself into your prayer. There, there is a, an energy that takes over at that point in your prayer. You are in the spirit of the living God. You are now occupied by the God. You are now taken to a place in your prayer where you are inside of your prayer. You are now praying. Jacob wrestled with God. He prevailed with God like this. When he got into the prayer, it wasn't the prayer that was working. It was the prayer that he started did not get him what he wanted. So he got into the prayer and started to wrestle with God. When you and I are praying, we need to have that kind of like a, a vengeance in our stomach when we are praying. When we shut down the outside noise, that's when we start to hear this inside voice. I, I saw this very powerful, powerful verse in the Bible. If you are taking notes, you should write down this verse. It comes in Exodus chapter 32, verses 10. Right? And I will read it from 9, but if you get a chance, I want you to actually take this verse and meditate on this verse, Exodus 32, 10. It says, uh, in the ninth verse, it says, The Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people. They have indeed a stiff-necked people. God is telling Moses, oh my God, these, these guys are so stiff-necked. They're constantly making mistakes. I am done with them. I want to wipe them off because these are ungrateful people. They have Thanksgiving coming, but they're not thankful in their heart. These are, God, just done. I'm just not going to take it. Right? But God is pleading with the Moses right now in verse 10. He's saying, now leave me alone. 
God is pleading with Moses, Moses, let me go, please leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and consume them, then I will make you a great nation. Let me wipe these people. Let me get, you know, I'm done with all those things. I know I have promised to Abraham, but let me wipe this one and create another one, another set of kids. Leave me alone. Moses, just let me go. Jacob, please, let me go. I just cannot take this. You you standing before me just like this stops me from acting is what God is saying. We got to have that kind of a burn in our heart. And and Moses was not leaving God. And, And what does that a man like you and me can do to God is exactly what is written down in Exodus 32 10. God is pleading. God will plead with you to leave his presence. God will plead with you to leave his, the hem of his garment. God will plead with you because he cannot act when his children are holding on to the hem of his garment. God cannot act on his own vengeance even over the people. That's what we can do. There is a world out there that doesn't believe in God. But you and I have an option to hold on to the hem of his garment. Do you have your face in between your knees like Elijah and asking God, like Moses, not leaving God like the Jacob wrestling. We need to rediscover the phenomenal power of this prayer. There is a man named P.T. Forsyth. P.T. Forsyth, he says, all forms of and views of religion have their test in prayer. Lose the importunity of prayer, lose the habit when we don't right, get into God, get into the face of God, then we lose the habit of wrestling and hope of prevailing with God, make it mere walking with God in a friendly talk. And precious as that is, yet you tend to lose the reality of prayer at last. The principle you Make it mere conversation instead of a soul's greatest action. That's what this man is saying. This man is saying that, that, that you can talk to God in a nice way. You can actually read from a book. You can actually learn about prayer. But then when you get before God and just like a fight, like these men that have been fighting, the Bible's full of those characters, Elijah, Moses, we see James, he's called like a, you know, his knees were so down on the ground, his knees, you know, actually got like a the callous kind of thing. They called him as a camel knees or a camel foot because he was kneeling down so much before God. You set aside some time with God, but you need to release the power that God has given into your life 
God is ready to work through you and me. The thing is, it is good that we pray when we are thriving and doing all these things, but the wrestling cannot happen in those kind of common places. You and I need to go to an undistracted place, a secret place, the closet that we can actually stand on. We, we cannot look acute when we are in the birthing process. We cannot put the nail polish, pedicure, manicure while we are in the middle of birthing. And God is saying, that's this time. That is what we are in. The world doesn't have an answer, but you and I have an answer to stand up. What we pray in America, in Charleston, in, in Jones Island can impact what is going to happen in Croatia. That's the God we serve. And that's what Elijah was doing. The third point that I want to make this morning is this. When he prayed, he prayed with an expectation. That's why, you know, James chapter 5 says, uh, Elijah was a man just like us, but when he prayed, man, he prayed. When he came up to the Mount Carmel and he started to pray, he told his servant in verse 33, First Kings chapter 18, verses 43, it says, he said to the servant, go up now, look towards the sea. So the servant went up and looked and said, there is nothing. In fact, seven times he said, go again. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. In fact, everything that happened from this point, the three and a half years of rain that was just like a blocked up is just now ready to bust open. Sometimes uh, when you're praying and praying, you think you're, nothing is happening. When God starts to open the, 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 the doors of heaven and the, tears down those, you know, the clouds, you and I are going to see some rain that we have never seen before. Where Spotify says, in the meantime, that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. Can you stay in your posture? This is a question for every one of us. Can we stay in the same posture, putting our feet, putting our face in between our knees and stay there even when things are not moving? Even when the, the stadium is empty? Can we stay there while nothing is happening? The servant came back seven times with the bad news, but Elijah stayed where he stayed with his face in between his knees. We cannot let the bad news talk us out of our posture. Don't let the evidence talk you and me out of what God has placed in our heart. The things that we can beat easily is not our battle. 
T.D. Jake said that last night. I was listening to this. He said, like, the things that we beat easily is not our battle. If the enemy gives us a hard time, it's really hard for us to push. And that is a fight. That's a battle. That's a real battle. The fight that is, is not going down until we put our face in between our knees. That, that fight, that fight really takes tenacity, takes endurance. Sometimes the things that we're praying for is not going to happen because there is an intercessor out there. There is a prayer warrior out there. There is a prayer chain out there. It's not going to happen until you put your face in between your knees and cry out to God in this universe and say, God, I'm not going to leave you right now. The seven times the servant came back with the news that the cloud only has, the seventh time the servant came back with this news that the, that the cloud only has like a small piece, as, as small as a man's hand. This morning I'm here to encourage you. There is somebody out there in this line who says, I prayed for a bigger miracle, but I only have a small piece. I'm going to speak for a moment as a prophecy to that person, you only got like a small piece of that puzzle. God is reminding you the results of your prayer is going to still avail everything that you prayed for. It, oh, the funds not come through all of it. Don't worry. Stay with your face in between your knees. Oh, the business is not growing as you expected. Go ahead. Stay in the place with your knees. And your face meter. Oh, the children are not coming home. Oh, my marriage is not still fixed. Oh, my, my, my things are not working. God says, stay there because I've already shown you what I can do. We are like this. You know, a lot of times I heard this from a man named, you know, Carlson. He says, we are like a boy. He's a, he's a British guy. He says, a naughty boy who comes and presses the doorbells and run away. We're like the kid that wants to do a prank on someone's house by clicking the door button and run away. God wants us to stay there. In fact, there are two parables that Jesus talked about, you know, that said very clearly, I'm not going to go into both of those parables in deep, but I'm going to give you a gist of those two parables. In one, he says, an unjust judge, a woman comes to him, to find an answer. Human comes to him for a justice. He refuses and refuses and refuses to listen. But in the end, he says, I better give it to her, otherwise she's going to bruise me. Our prayer life of going before God with our face in between our knees have to be like that woman who's not ready to give a, a, a good, uh, you know, a place for her to get out. Uh, we have to be like the woman who would never take a no as an answer. Then he talks about another guy who comes home in the night, and he has, and this friend who received him has nothing to eat. So he goes out to his friend. This friend who received the friend to his home goes out to another friend and says, I have a guest and I have nothing to eat. Can you give me three loaves of bread? And this man says, Susu, go away. I'm in bed with my children. Don't bother me. But this man, this, this friend was not ready to leave. And he keeps on 
banging, 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 banging on the door. Finally, this guy gives up, gets out of his bed, and goes and pulls the bed, bread and gives it to him. Jesus has told these two parables as a pattern for our prayer. If he has told us this is going to be the pattern of your prayer, why is that we are not pressing that button? Why are we not pressing this button? There is a man named Andrew Murray. He wrote a book called School of Prayer. And he says, we must begin to believe that God in the mystery of prayer, the mystery of prayer has entrusted us with a force that cannot move, that can move the heavenly world and bring its power down to earth. God who has promised, who longs, who fixed purpose, it is to give the blessing, holds it back. It is to him a matter of such deep importance that his friends on earth should know and fully trust their rich friend in heaven that he trains them in the school of answer delayed to find out how the perseverance really does prevail and what the mighty power is they can yield in heaven if they do. This man is saying in the, in the book called School of Prayer, he says there is a mystery in prayer. That when we start to pray, that's what he says, if I just summarize what he's saying, when we start to pray, there is a force that moves the heavens and brings down that power to earth. That's the mystery. We pray for somebody right now, which just like it goes and changes the trajectory of the atmosphere in heaven. And God responds to the change of atmosphere in heaven and he brings down the power on earth. And, and when the prayers get delayed, he says, it's a school of training for us. We have to press through when the cloud still looks so small. I'm here to tell you God can do more with our small things. How we respond to a small answer will determine our destiny. If you are a preacher that's listening to this message, I have no idea when this message is going to be heard by whom, because it's getting loaded into the podcast. And someday, if you are a preacher, you're listening to this, God is saying to you, you may have just a small group of people in your church today, but the impact that he's about to make with that small set of people in your church is going to bring down the dark clouds of this earth and that it's going to make the heaven respond to the cries of these people. He's saying, you know, we have to press on and say, Lord, this is, this is all I can do, putting my face in between my knees. Everything else is yours to do. There was a period in time we were in Canada. Between 98 and 2000, there was a three-year period we were in Canada. 
And during that time, I've already done the, the prison ministry before I started this journey of working inside the prison in 1994, right? And so when we were in Canada, we wanted to do something in Canada for the prison ministry. And so we went and we asked the, the, the chaplain of this prison in Kitchener-Waterloo, we want to come in and minister here in your prison. And the chaplain said, good job, great idea. What are you guys going to do in our prison? And he said, we want to come in and do a Bible study. We want to help. This was a women's prison. We want to do a Bible study in this prison. And the chaplain, her name is Rosemary, and she paused and she looked at us with a smile and she said, I have enough of those super spiritual people in my prison. I do not need any more of those people in my prison. She kicked us out of that prison. And so we came out. We were four of us. We came out of that prison. We wanted to desperately go in and minister, but we have no idea where to start. And so we got on our knees and we started to pray. Every Wednesday in Waterloo, there was an Assemblies of God church. There's a, behind that church, there's a small room. Four of us would go every Wednesday and we would get on our knees and pray. And we asked God for the direction. It was week after week after week. The weeks became months. Months, month after month after month went by. We were still on our knees every Wednesday asking God for the direction. After one year, the same chaplain, Rosemary, called us and she said, our women are really desperate and they are in depression. Can you help them out? So we went to the, the uh, ice hockey team called Rangers in Kitchener, Rangers, and we asked them to throw some teddy bears, and we took the teddy bears into that prison, and we brought their children into that prison. And that was the first uh, Forgive Me Dear event. It was uh, 2000 when we did that in that prison. There was a huge change that happened in that prison, and that change is still continuing in Kitchener-Waterloo because of four of those guys that would go and pray. One of them is Roger, and, and he is now head of prison ministry, uh, prison fellowship in, the, in, in Canada. Brian, he is now head of Assemblies of God Church in Canada. Sandra, she's running one of the biggest women's ministry in Canada. And I'm the fourth guy. We never left God's presence when we asked him for his direction. I do not know what you're praying for, but God is telling you, there is something about you coming back to me and staying with your face in between your knees. God will definitely answer your prayer. There was a moment in time in the early part of 1940, 
there was a professor named Edwin Orr of Wheaton University. He took a group of theology students to England where they visited sites of great revival. One of their stops was Epwood Rectory. The rectory now serves as a Methodist museum, but it was formed formerly the home of this evangelist named John Wesley, the famous reformer who led a wave of spiritual renewal in the 1700s. He's the one who founded the Methodist movement. And as, as a, a man of prayer, Wesley, revival to sweep through England and spread to America. So this uh, Professor Edwin pointed uh, out the two places where uh, in the bedroom of John Wesley where the carpet was dented that was near John Wesley's bed where he knelt down for hours in prayer every day, crying out for revival, crying out for revival. And as a history tells, that's exactly what happened. Heavens broke in and the revival broke out in the early 1700s to mid-1700s. As the tour of this rectory comes to an end, the students were supposed to be loaded in the bus. And, and the Professor Edwin, when he counted the number of students that were supposed to come, one of them was missing. So he returned to the rectory, he returned to the house, and he eventually located the last student in John Wesley's bedroom, kneeling on those worn, worn impressions where Wesley had fervently prayed for revival. The student was repeatedly pleading as he was on the knees, asking that voice, he said, do it again, Lord, do it again. Do it again, Lord, do it again. That all was the prayer of that boy. And he even said in the middle of this, he said, would you do it again with me, God? Placing his hands on this young man's shoulder, Professor Edwin said, son, it's time for us to leave. Everyone's on the bus. And that student slowly rose. That boy, that young man that was on his knees in John Wesley's bedroom was none but Billy Graham. He joined the rest of the crew. And all his prayer was this. Do it again, Lord. We don't need to have like a fancy prayer. We don't need to cut God with the, all the verses in the Bible. He knows the word of God. He's looking for someone who can put his face in between his knees. What changed the situation for, for, for Elijah? What changed the situation that brought the rain? Of course, this one thing that Elijah did on that mountain that, that would never leave God's ears, God's eyes. You and I have the power to stop God from going anywhere if only we are not willing to leave the hem of his garment. Like that woman who was sick for 12 years, she never left 
God's hem. Moses never left his hem. Jacob did not leave his hem. Elijah did not leave his presence. That's the kind of attitude you and I need to have when it comes to prayer. And when we pray like that, God is going to send his fire. God's going to send his rain upon your situation. God's going to move mountains for you. God's going to shout grace, grace upon you. There is nothing that the God cannot do. There's nothing God cannot do to bring Miss Brenda back to her original state. We need to believe with that kind of a vengeance in our heart. There was a man named J.R. Tucker. In his, uh, in his book, he says, there is no recipe for prayer that can work like a handyman's do-it-yourself manual or a cookery book where the claim is that if you follow the instruction, you can't go wrong. Prayer is not like carpentry or cookery. It's an active exercise of a personal relationship, a kind of relationship with the living God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And the way it goes is more under divine control than our control. As in other close relationships, so is prayer. You have to find out by trial and error what is right for you, and you can learn to pray by praying. You and I can learn to pray by praying. Start by getting on your knees. Start on talking to God. Start on putting your head in between your knees. Start on pushing in your prayer. Start with you getting up early in the morning. Start by getting your knees touch the ground. Start by saying the Lord's Prayer. Start by doing something for the Lord in prayer as you start to get into prayer and the prayer will take you into the prayer. This morning, our brothers and sisters, I have no idea what you're going through. I'm holding, I'm praying these verses have strengthened your belief on that prayer. Because God is begging you today, just like how he begged on Moses, let go, please. He begged, the angel begged on Jacob, please, let me go. It's the dawn of the day, please, let me go. That's what God is going to feel when you get on his knees and on his face and you're touching his hem of his pocket. Brother Vince. Thank you, Brother Cyril, for your message. Thank you for teaching us and showing us the hardest part, as you said, in life is waiting. And how do we deal with the waiting? It's through prayer. Lord, you give us the example of Elijah and how he prayed while he was waiting. You give us the example of Solomon, Moses, and David. And how do we pray with fire, the expectation of fire? The example you gave us with Elijah, 
how we have to remove and strip off, become naked before our God, our King. What is holding you back? The pride, the unforgiveness, the envy, the anger, the frustration, how we have to strip everything off before you, Lord, to get real before you. But how do we posture ourselves before you, Lord? First, we have to come to that secret place, the secret place, the mount, the top of Mount Carmel. Where's your, where's your Mount Carmel? Where's your secret place? And then we posture ourselves in kneeling with our face between our knees in a birthing place, stripped naked with no distractions, no technology, no phone, no family and friends, and only pray yourself into prayer. Thank you for that example. Thank you for Elijah. Do we pray like that? Are we wrestling with God? Are we fighting for are we fighting for the prayers when we're, when we're praying? Do we pray with expectation? Elijah prayed with expectation. Are you praying with expectation? Are we persistent? Do we endure? Do we pray with fortitude? Just because the circumstances, just because the facts aren't right, when we're getting bad news, when our friends are naysayers, when our family are naysayers, how many years and months will go by without an answer? Are we still praying with expectation with our head between our knees? Despite the circumstances, are you staying the course? As, as Cyril said, use Wardaloo. What's your Wardaloo? There. This morning, as uh, Sarah is traveling, this is a time for us to get on with that communion. I'm going to pray the prayer that Ms. Sarah prays all the time. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, any rebellion, any unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children. God, having received you in our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as a penalty of our sinfulness, the price that you paid covers us from all time. And our desire is to live for you, God, this morning. As we take this bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor, God. Thank you that your death gave us life Abundant life, now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. Go ahead, take your bread right now. 
I read the rest of the prayer. And in the same way, he took his cup, representing your blood, poured out from a splintered cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all our sin, past, present, and future. Today we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spilled. Go ahead and take the drink. Father, we come before your throne of grace one more time. This morning, with our arms stretched open and our faces in between our knees, Father God, we're asking you, God, to just like move the mountains that are before us. God, we are asking you to give us that strength and energy that we would only get from you, Father. God, we want to go into prayer, the prayer life into a prayer life, from one prayer to the other, to the other, to the other, to the next level in our Father God experience with you. We want to dis- rediscover the, the, the mighty phenomenon, phenomenon of this prayer life. Teach us, Lord, to wait till the fire comes down. Teach us, Lord, wait till that cloud shows up. Teach us, Lord, to wait till the walls of Jericho come Teach us, Lord, for the Red Sea to be split and the walls of Jericho to come down. Teach us, Lord, to stay in our posture, stripping ourselves naked before you. We are your sons and daughters. Father, listen to our prayers. We will not leave the hem of your garment, oh God. We will never leave you. Father, in spite of every bad news that we get, we will never leave you, Father. We will never leave the presence of God. We will never leave our head taken away from our knees. God, we want to push through all the difficult situations that we are facing today. Help us, Father God, to have the tenacity and the strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Father, for your glory. Amen. Amen and amen. The conference has been unmuted. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yes, thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You are yours, O God. You are yours. Let our tears speak volumes. 
Gott, ich halte ihn nicht fest.